Laughing and Weeping, the Year Beginning Conference. Over the New Year 2009 holiday, Father Richard Rohr and Russ Hudson presented a teaching of the Enneagram to over 600 people in Albuquerque, New Mexico. These are the closing remarks by Father Richard Rohr and Russ Hudson. I hope what intrigued a lot of you to come to this conference uh, to begin with was not just the, the wondrous gift of the Enneagram, but our subtitle, uh, The Enneagram as a Tool for Non-Dual Consciousness. Uh, and we've sort of danced around that. Uh, we've talked about it here at previous conferences on paradox and mystery and, and other ways. But I, I want to get back to that central theme. How is it that the Enneagram is, or could be at least, such a unique tool to move us from our natural and trained and habitual uh, dualistic thinking uh, to non-dual? What religion at the higher levels tends to recognize is there has to be an equivalence between the seer and the seen, between the knower and the known, and that hateful people cannot know love, right? For our purposes here, we're going to say split people uh, cannot know wisdom. So we have to, first of all, recognize and forgive, I'm going to use the word forgive, the splits, the contradictions, the dualisms that we all are. If you don't recognize and overcome the paradox within yourself, you won't be able to think non-dually and see the mystery over there. It's that simple. There ha Let me repeat it again. There must be an equivalence, a similarity between you and what you hope to see. Now that's really, brothers and sisters, the basis of all the teaching on love your neighbor, you understand, be merciful, be forgiving. This isn't just a moral practice that pleases God. If you do that, I'll like you. As we've said many times, God already likes you. That question is solved once and forever. So there's no behavior that you can do that is going to talk God into liking you. But there is a behavior you can do that allows you to see correctly. <laughs> you have to be loving. You have to be, or you will never know that God is love. Do you understand? <laughs> loving people know that God is love. <laughs> so all this talk of cleaning the lens... Uh, isn't just to be moralistic and shaming. It's saying you've got to get the seer right. Now, what we're saying in this context is that uh, the seer is most often, in fact, almost always split. And, and in many ways, we in religion have aided that split by telling you to get rid of your bad parts, all right? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think sin, as I grew up with it, was something you confessed because if you didn't, you were going to be punished for it. <laughs> it all had to do with guilt, getting sins forgiven and, sh uh, and, and shame associated with it. Uh, but it wasn't really struggling with the shadow. Now, the genius of the Enneagram is that it says, you know what? The way to find... <laughs> Your gift is through your sin. I think that, that was the first thing I was told in 1973. 
by my Jesuit spiritual director in Cincinnati who taught me the Enneagram, right? And I'm like, gosh, no one ever talked to me that way. That your sin and your gift are two sides of one coin. And so you do not rush to get rid of it, get rid of it. If you were like me, a little Catholic boy in the 1950s, we all lined up in confessionals, all right, uh, before Mass to get rid of our sin, to get pure again, you see? Though the point was to name your sin and get rid of your sin, not let it be your teacher. No one ever told me that. And no one ever told you that either, I'll bet. It was get rid of it so we could get rid of the guilt. So what happened? Sin largely persisted by disguise, right? Because it was still there. We didn't learn anything from our sins. We didn't allow them to be the wound, that what we call in men's work the sacred wound, that becomes the hole in the soul that opens the heart space, that opens the mind space, that, that opens you even at the cellular level through its, through its delusions and, and its lies. You have to recognize that, that sin is a teacher. The Enneagram taught me that like nothing else in my life. It told me that I'm a living paradox, I'm a living split, and I've largely learned to deny that split or avoid that split uh, by confessing my sins too quickly. You know that line that's often attributed to St. Augustine, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. It's a good line. May we need to say that to our, our, all of our nine compulsions. Me, Lord, make me less resentful, but not yet. Let me learn, where does this resentment come from? Why is it so unconscious, so constant? What's the character of it? What's the shape of it? What's the tonality of it? What's the compulsiveness of it? What's the blindness of it? And to repeat what I think I said the first day, remember, You and I were trained to think we are all going to be punished for our sins. 99% of Christians seem to think that. You are not punished for your sins. You are punished by your sins. Got it? Just change the preposition. That's all. You are punished by your sins. Nothing, in my experience, teaches that better than the Enneagram. To recognize this punishment that I'm inflicting on myself that is blinding me constantly from honest relationship, from from what Russ has so beautifully been calling presence. And those of you who were here at the Thomas Mass the first day, I hope you made the connection that before communion I told you there is no prerequisite of worthiness to come to this table. The only prerequisite is a capacity for presence. And I think what you did for us so beautifully, Russ, was localize how the mind can be present and how it can avoid presence. Right mind, as you so well called it. How the body can be present and can also be split and be filled with shame and guilt and be somewhere else or or simply repressed. And how the heart space can be utterly closed. And that the work of spirituality which makes presence possible is keeping the heart space open, keeping the mind space into right mind, which is the work of contemplation, and keeping the body living inside of the moment. And those people 
will know the presence. <laughs> it's exactly what we said. That's the only prerequisite. Present people will know the presence. <laughs> and what the anagram tells you is the nine ways we're avoiding presence. The nine ways we're not being here now. Uh, that book that's supposed to come out in September uh, that I wrote on this uh, non-dual consciousness, I had entitled it The Third Eye. You might not know this, but authors, we really don't have the, the usual final say on the titles of our books. You give them to the publishers and then they redo it. And, and they came up uh, actually at Stephen's suggestion, I think, with what is probably going to be a better title. And they call it The Naked Now. That's the title they've given it, not The Third Eye. They thought The Third Eye would make all Christians think it was Buddhist or something like that. I don't know. Even though it's a Christian concept from the 11th century. But we don't know that. Uh, so it's going to be called The Naked Now, Learning to See Like the Mystics. And how did the mystics see? <clears throat> the reason they could be merciful, the reason they could be forgiving, the reason they could be broad-minded, compassionate, and inclusive instead of exclusive is because they had attained that non-dual consciousness. And it, it's, it's eternally the question of the chicken or the egg. <laughs> Does an encounter with an all-merciful God make you merciful? Or when you finally learn mercy... Are you able to recognize that God is mercy? I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a symbiotic relationship there. <laughs> but until you become merciful, at least a little bit, <laughs> mercy in here will, like a magnet, recognize and go toward the mercy of God. Do you understand? And recognize that it's total breaking down of all non-duality. It has nothing to do with worthiness or attainment or achievement. Huh? But... You can also say it comes at some of us the other side. Sometimes my heart isn't very filled with mercy, and I'm hating myself and judging you, and there is a moment of grace. There is a moment of encounter where the mercy comes toward me. My gosh, you're still loving me. You're still accepting me in this moment when I can't accept myself. <laughs> but, but know that the two have to meet. Now, I call that the principle of likeness, uh, that, that like knows like. Love in me knows love. Love in God can find an abiding place in my love. If there's no love here, if, if you are filled with fear and hatred, you will not know God. You can't. There's no abiding place for love inside of you, and God is love. Do you understand? So that's the meaning of all the moral commandments. They're, they're not requirements to get God to love you. They're requirements for your own transformation so you can see correctly who God is. <laughs> uh, and that's why in Ephesians, Paul, or probably wasn't Paul, whoever wrote Ephesians, uh, uh, says, be, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. But in a certain way, God is replanting himself, replicating himself, herself in us. And so that's why you always, and take this as axiomatic, you become the God you worship, right? You become the God you worship. And, and that's why in very short order, a good spiritual director working with you can tell you exactly, really doesn't matter whether you're Methodist, Lutheran, Buddhist, Hindu, Presbyterian, or Catholic. Do you understand? I can 
work with you a little while and find out who your real God is. If you are a very exclusionary person, then I know your God is exclusionary. Do you see? <laughs> if you're a merciful, forgiving person that the flow just flows through you, I know you've met the real God. It's, it's almost that simple. So we're looking for a moral similitude and, and equivalence between the seer and the seen, between the knower and the known. And only love can know love. Only mercy can know mercy. <laughs> I, only forgiveness can receive forgiveness. Jesus says this in the Our Father. Huh? Uh, he, he's saying you've got to forgive or you will not know the forgiveness. Unforgiving people cannot believe God could forgive them. People who've allowed the flow of forgiveness through them and become instruments of forgiveness, the flow is open. The channel is there. Do you understand? If you need a, a, a visual image of it. So when God comes toward you with forgiveness, you can, yes, I can allow you to do it <laughs> uh, because I myself have allowed the, the conduit to happen. So to know the unity, or non-dual thinking as we're calling it, uh, if you find a better word, it's fine, but we're just using it for now because it's descriptive of the core. Right? To know the unity, one must himself, herself be the unity. That's non-dual thinking. As long as you're split in any way, from your mind, from your heart, uh, from your body, you will not know the truth. You will not know God. You are not a proper receiver station. Do you see? Uh, in, in a way, if, if, if I'm saying this at all well, or if you're hearing it, it's going to become very simple. <laughs> it's hard to describe to get us back to simplicity. Do you understand? Because we're so trained in the moral contest <laughs> and in the judging contest of ourselves and the worthiness contest with God, that to actually simply seek to create an equivalence between the seer and the seen uh, is so simple that it's hard to teach. So when you're walking along the street and you find yourself nursing hateful thoughts for the last three minutes, it's not, oh, oh, I better get rid of these. God won't like me. No, it's, I better get rid of these or I won't know God. That's all. God can't get in at that hateful, antagonistic, oppositional, paranoid level. And the nine sins, so-called, of the Enneagram, if you, and you don't have to use that word, sins, at all, but uh, what they're helping us to do is saying there's nine major way, ways that we are blind. Yeah. And, and uh, we each have a biggie. Don't try to avoid it. Uh, and I know some people do. Oh, I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, that's spiritual laziness. It really is, because <laughs> you're one, not a one. You're <laughs> you're one type. There's one that blinds you and determines all the other eight. <laughs> you play all nine games, as Russ has been saying. But once you recognize this as a liberation from your blindness, and 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 a recognition of your own. Uh, entrapment, then the lens that you are gets cleaned and the light can get through. It's, it's really that simple. And so you, you seek henceforth to, to uh, be a loving person simply because at the deepest level, that is who you are. <laughs> Love is not something you do 
Love is what you are <laughs> because you were created in the divine DNA. You were created in the image and likeness of God who is love. Now, when you live outside of that realm of love, uh, there's no equivalence. There's no connection. The magnets cannot move toward one another. Now, what the saints and mystics say is that their experiences, when, when the magnets connect, <laughs> when the two similitudes uh, recognize one another, the, the universal experience of the saints is that the initiative always came from the other side. Do you understand? <laughs> always. Always. <laughs> there is no technique, no formula, no little practice, no little sit, no little discipline that made it happen, right? Uh, but, but this is subtle. You're saying, well, now I think he's contradicting himself. He just said before, I've got to be love to receive the love. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the old saying was, no one catches the wild ass by running after it but only people who run after it catch the wild ass. Right, there's the paradox. <laughs> you, you, there is a readiness. There is a readiness. And there is a work to do. That's why the anagram is work in many ways. It's spiritual warfare, spiritual work, to see that you're doing it every three minutes, every four minutes. you got to let go, let go, let go of these habitual patterns that are well-trained in all of us. And I'm not going to deny that that's work. But all it is is so that you can receive the uh, true image, right? So you can receive what's already there, so you can recognize what you already are, which is love, which is a child of God. It is all about love. It's not about achieving moral perfection in nine different directions. Those are just your nine different traps or, or blockages to love. <laughs> but for every one of us, and I, I know Russ agrees with this. Well, I think he's an example of it. Uh, the goal of, of the entire spiritual journey is union and love. Not to feel morally superior, not to call yourself enlightened, not to think you're better than anybody else. In fact, such questions are boring questions to the soul, all right? They're very interesting questions to the ego, the, the ego loves to think of itself as on higher moral ground than other people. But when you get into non-dual consciousness, here's where the paradox comes to, to full form. That you are holding the contradiction that you are. And it is this, this uh, unity that you are which includes the negative, includes the dark side, includes the shadow that can finally receive God who is always mystery, who is always beyond knowing, a little bit known, and always mostly beyond knowing. Huh? Mystery can know mystery. Mystery can receive mystery. But if you eliminate the mysterious part of yourself, the problematic part of yourself, the negative part of yourself, the wounded part of yourself, and pretend it's not there. I, I, I don't think you see God very well. Because <laughs> you will also eliminate the mysterious part of God. You see, the problematic part of God. That's modern atheism. So I'm just talking around the same thing again and again. That the anagram for me is, is about as good a tool as I can find 
that reveals to you that you are a living contradiction, and you always will be, all right? You are filled with contradictions. Don't try to overcome the contradiction. Learn from the contradiction. And amazingly, that's what makes you compassionate, merciful, forgiving, sensitive, open-hearted, bridge-building, all the other things that matter. They all come from weeping over uh, this, this, you know, little clod of earth that we are. And you know who I'm quoting there, of course, Carl Jung, who said toward the end of his life, I have, I have spent my life climbing down the ladder, not up, as most of us were trained, climbing down the ladder, so now at the end of my life, I can reach out the hand of friendship, friendship, to the little clod of earth that I am. And that's no longer a put-down, that's a freedom, you understand, to be of the earth. I think you have that as your final level of the strata. I'm just a human being. It's just me again. There's no need to be spiritual, no need to pretend, no need to act as if I am who I am, who I am, who I am, who I am. What could be more wonderful? And that's for some unbelievable reason what God has chosen to love, not only to love, but to to dwell within. So you, the paradox, can accept the paradox and the mystery of life and God and everything else. That's the equivalence finally achieved between the seer and what can and should and must be seen. Thank you. I'll try the lectern. <laughs> well, it's pretty fun, actually. It's like a good perch up here. Um, one thing I learned as a young person that I've struggled my whole life with, I think, particularly maybe in my Enneagram uh, pattern as a five, it was very difficult for me to believe in the presence of love and compassion. The very thing Richard was just talking about. Yet, if there's one thing from the teachings of Jesus that I keep returning to again and again. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It's very difficult for us to imagine that we're welcome. It's very difficult for us to imagine that however screwed up we might think we've been, however lost we think we've been, that all we have to do is show up and we're greeted by this unimaginable kindness that's in us and around us all the time. That despite our ignorance, shutdownness, 
stubbornness and our nine amazing sins or passions, all you have to do is say yes in a moment and you're embraced by the Father and the fat, fatted calf is killed. Well, I mean, we can't believe it. We can have been, we can have grown up in Christian families. We can have been going to church and practicing and praying. We still can't quite believe that this love loves us unconditionally always. And that there's nothing we can do to create it, to earn it. I was always astonished when you know some of the critics of the Enneagram saw it as a, a salvation through works. And it was the criticism of it, or that it was perhaps pagan. And I thought, that's very interesting, so different than how I have received it, which is very much as, as Richard was talking about. It's, it's just a tool to remember this thing I'm speaking of now. For me, that is what it's for. All of our Enneagram passions, fixations, sins, whatever, that whole structure, all our ego structure is our little attempt to be in control of what we're not in control of. All of it is a way of trying to fix things that it is not in our power to fix. But in any moment that we let the moment touch us, we understand the moment isn't just time. It is the Spirit of God moving right now and that it is not something abstract. It's not an idea. It is in the midst of everything we can possibly experience right now. It doesn't care what we believe. It loves us no matter what. So in a sense, it's a very interesting thing. Then what can we do? This is what we Americans always want to know. What can I do? Right? What we can do is slowly learn to say yes. Learn to trust. Learn to trust what's here. And as I have been suggesting, and as the Enneagram points to, saying yes isn't a gesture that you make once and forever. It's not a word. It's an orientation in your whole soul. Being present in your body with your breath is saying yes to your life, yes to this moment, yes to the gift that you've received of this life saying, yes, I will be here with you, God. I will not shut the doors. You know, behold, I knock at the door of every human heart and anyone who will have me in, I will sup with him and he with me. The Enneagram tells us why we don't open the door. We're out back having a barbecue, <laughs> listen, watching uh, our favorite TV show. We're trying to improve on the whole thing. We can't open the door if we're not here.
We can't hear the knock if we're not that knock. Here all the time. If we're somewhere else, we can't hear it. You see? This is where presence for me is central to moving from our kind of understandings and our grappling with the ideas that, that faith presents us and bringing it into a lived reality. If it is true, it must be true now. Right? So, yes, I, I say yes in the body. I say yes in the mind by being open. Not my will, but thine. I don't know, God, show me. I don't really understand. I've learned all these magnificent theories. I've got all these great ideas. I've listened to wonderful philosophers and theologians. I had great ministers and priests explain stuff to me, and it's all just pointing to something much bigger. We can't even imagine the vastness of what's possible for us to recognize moment by moment what we're invited to. So saying yes in the mind is just being open, being in question, letting ourselves be touched by the wonder of what's here. I mean, think about it. Just look where we are right now. It's like that old talking head song, how did I get here? <laughs> you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, right? Or who knows where you find yourself, but you find yourself and suddenly someone's here. Who is this? What is this? We don't know. We don't know. Can we let go of our assumptions and let our mind be taken over by a much bigger mind? And last but not least, being present in the heart is the biggest yes. And it's absolutely what Richard was just sharing so beautifully with us, being willing to be with our raggedness, our contradictions, our hurts, our pettiness, our, our miserliness, our, our, just all the different elements, learning to just hold that without opining about it. Right? Holding it without opining about it is making room for grace to come in and work it. Hmm? And another way I can sort of, I, I was really loving what you were saying, Richard, about that this, this whole holding contradictions, the way we've been talking about it. It's like the Enneagram symbol itself that I started with kind of... Um, suggests how this happens in an odd way. We're always in some yes and no, some contradiction, some inner struggle. We think the good guys will beat the bad guys. That never happens for good, ever. It's not like you're going to become all pure and get rid of all the impurities. It's not that you're going to be all loving and never have anger or hatred. It's always going to have these polarities. If there's form, there's polarity. If there's form, there's contradiction. Form exists because God divided the light in the dark. Right? If there wasn't that, there would be no form. Right? But the thing is, it's not like 
we try to go to one end or the other. That's what the ego knows how to do. Oh, I don't like that part of me. Let me go over to this part. And we remain fractured. We remain separated. We remain divided from ourselves. We remain in some state of no. When we are able to come back to ourselves here and now and heartfully hold these difficult contradictions in us, it's not that one wins out. Suddenly what we are is that which is holding it. Suddenly it's like we were here, just smushed right in the middle of it, and suddenly whoo, we understand, we become magnified in the spirit. And in that moment, the contradiction is just this little thing that's held, but it's no longer controlling or determining our actions because we've been lifted up to another level of the nature of what we are. That's what awakening is. That's what illumination is. And that's not anything we do. It's a grace that God offers us again and again and again. Come step into this vastness that is your possibility. But you don't get there by, as we said, trying to be good, trying to repress anything, trying to deny anything, trying to keep those difficult parts away. It's in the holding of all of it. It's in the holding of it, all of it. And that goes right back again. It all comes together. How do you hold it? Yes, in the belly. Yes, in the heart. Yes, in the head. I'm willing, God. As we used to say, work me, Lord. Right? So learning the Enneagram can teach us all sorts of amazing and wonderful things about our relationships, about society, help us understand things. But my invitation to you would be to always, first and foremost, use it to come back to this grace. If you do that, everything else will work out. It's for you. It's a gift for you. It's, as I said at the beginning, it's a tool of remembrance to help us remember what we love. Remember why I said that? Maybe now, after the experiences you've had here and listening to Richard and listening to me and sharing with each other, you have a deeper sense of what that means. And I assure you, no matter how long you live, there's no end to what you can understand and realize about that. The love of God is beyond any of our imaginings. That much I know. So by all means, practice every day. Walk through your life. Use exactly. Our life is grist for the mill. You aren't going to find what you're looking for somewhere else. You're going to find it in your relationship with your partners, with your kids, with your friends and neighbors, in the place of work. If it isn't happening there, it ain't real. So practice on your own. Seek, as we were saying before, seek um, good company. 
Gurdjieff used to say, we need essence friends. A regular friend is a personality friend, is somebody that you get into your shtick with, as we say in New York. You do your shtick with your personality friends. You sort of run your little things that you run with each other. And, and then that has a place in life. But an essence friend is a friend who takes a stand for your presence. An essence friend is someone who cares about your awakening, cares about your salvation, cares about you being who you really are and is willing to stand in the heat with you if need be. Now, essence friends are what we need, and there's great places you can get that. Those of you here in Albuquerque, boy, aren't you lucky. <laughs> you got some good places to come find some beautiful mentoring and essence friends. You know, if you live in other communities, find it. And if you can't find it, make it. Right? You can keep on learning about this your whole life. You want to learn about the Enneagram? Yeah, we got an institute. You can come take courses and learn more, make friends. We we have ecumenical organizations even in the Enneagram, the IEA and things like that. But um, we have conferences, all sorts of stuff. There's always opportunities. But at the end of the day, as they say in the business world perhaps too often, It comes down to the moment. The only moment we ever have is now. And we're turning toward what we love now or not. And in the end, I think the one choice human beings might really have, the only choice that matters is in this moment, am I saying yes or not to whatever capacity I can? So thank you. Uh, for spending this uh, miraculous and wonderful beginning of a new year. And uh, I wish you all much peace and uh, every illumination you need for your journey. May you all take it further than me. So thank you. stand and so again it happens for you the eternal mystery the endless mystery of who we are meet and you gaze with acceptance and love upon us and that gaze allows us to return it and to offer that same acceptance and love to this mystery that we will always be, and to this mystery that every other human being will always be. Keep us in this free and spacious and oh so lovely place. We thank you for your gaze of blessing that allows us to laugh and allows us to weep gentle and lovely tears. May each sister and brother here know they are already blessed, and may they now leave with that blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
It's over. God bless you all. Thank you. <laughs> for more information on this and other conferences presented by the Center for Action and Contemplation, call 505-247-1636 or visit the CAC website at www.cacradicalgrace.org.